welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Matthew chapter 16 and 17, with a special emphasis on Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, through Matthew chapter 17, verse 13. How should we treat Messiah's work in both our lives and the lives of others? What did Yeshua mean when he told his disciples, Most certainly I tell you there are some standing here, who will in no way taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom? And what was the transfiguration of Yeshua on the mountain all about? Why were Moses and Elijah there? And how do these events apply to us today? Stay tuned through to the end of this program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on those questions and more in Matthew chapter 16 and 17. And now, here's today's first scripture portion. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 through 28. The Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there will be no sign given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He left them and departed. The disciples came to the other side and had forgotten to take bread. Yeshua said to them, Take heed and beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They reasoned among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. Yeshua, perceiving it, said, Why do you reason among yourselves, you of little faith? Because you have brought no bread. Don't you yet perceive, neither remember the five loaves, for the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you don't perceive that I didn't speak to you concerning bread? But beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he didn't tell them to beware of the yeast of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now when Yeshua came into the parts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, Some say John the Immerser, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, 
but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living Elohim. Yeshua answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my assembly, and the gates of Sheol will not prevail against it. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Then he commanded the disciples that they should tell no one that he was Yeshua the Messiah. From that time, Yeshua began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and the third day be raised up. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this will never be done to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of Elohim, but on the things of men. Then Yeshua said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will render to everyone according to his deeds. Most certainly I tell you, there are some standing here who will in no way taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And now, here's some insight from Eliyahu ben David on that chapter. Shabbat Shalom, friends. We are considering a very special portion of Scripture that raises the question where Messiah said, Who do you say that I am? And for 2,000 years since then, people have been puzzling over the answer to that question, and those who know the answer are truly blessed. You know, we've already saw how Messiah asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they gave them the real answer of what people said. And there's a lot of different opinions. This is not surprising, is it? Because you can ask a question about just about anything, and you'll get a lot of opinions about it. But when Simon was asked what he believed, he said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living Elohim. And he was commended because... Yeshua recognized this was revealed to Simon. This was revelation knowledge. Now, I think that Peter deserved to be commended. Because I think a lot of times 
the Holy Spirit may reveal things to us, but we can miss them. We can fail to grab a hold of them. And perhaps if we don't have enough faith, we can fail to confess those things. And what Simon did is what we all need to do when we receive revelation from the Spirit. We need to recognize it for what it is. We need to embrace it. And we need to confess it as the truth. So it's really great what Peter did here. And he was commended for it. Good example for all of us. And that's what makes the rest of this such an interesting contrast. Because even though he did so good here, when he started listening to Yeshua Messiah saying, well, I'm going to have to die. And these people that are giving us so much trouble in Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. Peter didn't like hearing that word. And unfortunately, when he listened to that, he wasn't listening to the Holy Spirit anymore. What was he listening to? His own emotions, right? And... Were those emotions evil? Not really. I would like all my friends to not want me to die too. Wouldn't you? So it's perfectly normal that he had these emotions that he didn't want something bad to happen to Messiah. And I guess up to that point, he's okay, right? Because he doesn't want something bad to happen to Messiah. If he'd kept that to himself, he probably would have been okay and made it through all right. But instead, it says Peter took him aside. Now, Messiah, listen, let me give you a little wisdom here. You can't go around saying that you're going to be killed, okay? And you really need to stop doing that. Because something that awful is never going to happen to you. Well, there's a whole bunch of things here that Peter did wrong. First of all, was he not presumptuous? He's the disciple, and Yeshua is the master. Right? So what is wrong with this picture, with Peter taking Messiah aside and giving him the what for? Is that the way to handle it? You know, even if he had a question about it, shouldn't he say, well, you know, this is hard for me to grasp. Could you help me with this? But instead, he's assuming he's right and Messiah is wrong. So he's out of order. He's totally out of order. What made him do that? Well, now, not only was he not wanting something bad to happen to Messiah, but his emotions were controlling him. He was so opposed to what Messiah said, he just assumed it had to be wrong, and he needed to correct it. And he needed to correct Messiah. Here's my question. Does that ever happen to you? 
Do you think it's possible for your emotions to be so strong about something that maybe you disagree with the will of Yahweh for either yourself or somebody else? You know, it strikes me that sometimes believers, well, sometimes they engage their mouth before the Holy Spirit is actually engaged. And they're just being driven by their own emotions. And this can happen to perfectly good believers like it did to Peter. It could happen to any of us. Believe me, if this could happen to a disciple that walked with Messiah, it could happen to you, and it could happen to me. For good reasons, because we're well-motivated, and we don't want anything bad to happen to other people. And yet, it's outside the will of God and outside of his Holy Spirit. Well, of course, we know the next part of what happened. Peter said this, and Messiah said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You know who pulls the strings on your emotions, even the good ones? That's scary, isn't it? You know, we often think about Satan trying to tempt us with evil things. But this particular example, I think, is really scary because what it shows is that even when people are well-motivated and they let their emotions control them instead of the Holy Spirit, Satan can pull those strings to accomplish what he wants. And it can be a stumbling block, as Messiah said to Peter. Well, of course, Messiah was too big a man spiritually to be turned aside by Peter. But you know what? Maybe some of your brothers and sisters aren't that big a man in the spirit yet. Maybe if they're hearing something from Messiah, something that you don't think is pleasant, okay, but something that they are feeling impelled by the Spirit to do, and they tell you, and then you come down on them the way Peter came down on Messiah, you might just be responsible for turning someone aside from doing the will of God in their life. What do you think of that idea? You know, sometimes we speak too freely. Sometimes we tell people what we think way too easily. Sometimes we tell people they're wrong and we're right on the basis of things other than what the truth really is. And I think this story is important because it tells us we really need to grow in discernment between those two things, between our own opinion and what the Spirit is really leading. And I think it's telling us something else, too, and that is what Yahweh is telling somebody else 
except in certain circumstances, okay? Like if you're a parent and you have children, you know, you have to be concerned with what happens with your children. But, you know, we're talking now about adults who are following Messiah. If somebody feels impelled by the Spirit to move in a certain way in their life, and it's not anything that's clearly against the Scriptures, okay? It's none of our business. It's not your business. It's not my business. Because if we can tell people what to do, then how is the Holy Spirit going to tell them what to do? If all of us who are believers can just go around telling all the other believers what to do, then where does the Holy Spirit fit into that? So do you see why it's important when people are seeking the will of God and they're seeking to follow the will of God, that we not interfere with that? and try and impose our own thinking on someone else. Now, I'm not speaking against someone who's asking for some wisdom on something that wants what your opinion is. That's okay. But doing like Peter, where, oh, I'm right, you're wrong, you've got to do what I say. Well, that's really an invitation for Satan to get involved. And you can end up really in the middle of something that is not really a good situation. So I think this is such an important example for all of us, and I think for the remnant it's important, because as Yahweh continues to build his nation, we have to all learn how to get along with one another and how to each find our place that Yahweh has for us. And, you know, some of us are going to end up in different places than what anybody else has thought, doing things that maybe we never thought of. And so we really have to allow people to be free. We have to allow the Spirit to be free in order for Yahweh to do this very important work. So a great example, I think, in what happened here between Messiah and Peter. And then just this Reminder, Yeshua said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, a lot of times there's a lot of believers that think that what God wants for you is everything that's pleasant. He wants you to have lots of money. He wants you never to be sick. He doesn't want anybody ever to say a cruel word to you. And he just wants to treat you like his special baby. But is that what Messiah says is going to happen with disciples? You know, telling us about these crowns that are waiting for us. You don't have to earn salvation. That comes from Messiah. But the crown you have to earn. The crown you have to earn. This is a reward for your faithful service. And it's not just 
stuff that's easy, okay? <laughs> this is stuff involving denying yourself. That's what Yeshua is talking about here. Denying yourself to follow him, to prove that he's really first in your life, to do the things that he requires you to do. And we need to understand that about one another, that in some way we're all called to carry a cross. And I know that every single real believer I'm talking to right now is carrying a cross. It's a different thing for each person. And, you know, we all have compassion. We'd all like to spare all of you all of that suffering. But to push that would be against the will of God because we can see right here, Messiah is telling us that we need to take up that cross and follow the example of our master, Yeshua. And, you know, this is one of the things about him that shows who he is, that answers that question of who he is. Because he willingly laid down everything in order to do his Father's will and gave us the superlative example of what that really means. And he has called us to do our very best to live up to that example, and to live that out in our own lives. You know, the thing about this that is so amazing is that when people look at verses like this, some people get very challenged, some people get afraid, some people think, oh, that's no fun, I'd rather do something else. But the people that actually live like that are the happiest people in the world. They're the most fulfilled people in the world, and they would never trade the life that they have. You know, um, being challenged like that and finding his help, finding his presence in the midst of doing the Father's will, that's one of the best things that there really is in this world. Stay tuned. Eliyahu has more to share in the book of Matthew after this short break. Enjoying this episode of Hebraic Insights in the Gospels? Want to hear more teachings from Eliyahu ben David? Tune in to our 24-7 internet radio station, Zion Road Messianic Radio. You can catch the latest episodes of Hebraic Insights in the Gospels before they're released as a podcast, learn more about what Zion Ministry teaches from our other programs, and listen to a host of uplifting songs from our independent Messianic music artists. To tune in to our station, go to zion.org. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G. Or search for Zion Road Messianic Radio. Again, that's Zion spelled T-S-I-Y-O-N in your favorite internet radio app or station directory. Don't miss the latest episodes. Go to tsiyon.org and check the station's schedule to see what's playing.
Welcome back. Here's the next scripture portion. Matthew chapter 16 verse 28 through Matthew chapter 17 verse 27. Most certainly I tell you, there are some standing here who will in no way taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Matthew chapter 17 After six days Yeshua took with him Peter, Jacob, and John his brother, and brought them up into a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as the light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter answered and said to Yeshua, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, let's make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were very afraid. Yeshua came and touched them and said, Get up and don't be afraid. Lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Yeshua alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Yeshua commanded them, saying, Don't tell anyone what you saw until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. His disciples asked him, saying, Then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Yeshua answered them, Elijah indeed comes first, and will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has come already, and they didn't recognize him but did to him whatever they wanted to. Even so, the Son of Man will also suffer by them. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Immerser. When they came to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is epileptic and suffers grievously, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Yeshua answered, Faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Yeshua rebuked him. The demon went out of him, and the boy was cured from that hour. Then the disciples came to Yeshua privately and said, Why weren't we able to cast it out? He said to them, because of your unbelief, for most certainly I tell you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. While they were staying in Galilee, Yeshua said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered up into the hands of men and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. They were exceedingly sorry. When they had come to Capernaum, those who collected the didrachma coins came to Peter and said, Doesn't your rabbi pay the didrachma? He said yes. When he came into the house, Yeshua anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? 
From whom do the kings of the earth receive toll or tribute? From their children or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Yeshua said to him, Therefore the children are exempt. But, lest we cause them to stumble, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take up the first fish that comes up. When you have opened its mouth, you will find a stator coin. Take that and give it to them for me and you. And now, here's some insight from Eliyahu ben David on Matthew chapter 17. Greetings, friends. It's great to have you with us once again. We're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 17. Now, there's quite a few different things in Matthew 17. So we could have chosen a number of different themes. And we will talk about different things, of course, in the chapter. But there's such an amazing event in this particular chapter that you have to think that the chapter is about that. And that is the transfiguration of Yeshua Messiah. So this is the main theme that we're looking at, even while we're looking at other things. And uh, you could look at my picture, which I personally created. I do most of these pictures, these themes. And you might think, well, gee, he must have made a mistake with that one. The picture looks so washed out. But of course, what we'll see with the story is that there was such a bright light. And that's a hard thing to show in a picture. <laughs> so just kind of think the light is so bright you can hardly see that there's someone there. That's really what the picture is all about. And people often wonder about this whole event of what happened with the transfiguration. What is this all about? Why did this all happen? Moses, Elijah seem to be there. What's that all about? It seems like such an unusual, strange event that happened. And I think we'll get a better picture of what this is all about. Well, we want to look more closely at this amazing event that happened, the transfiguration. The first thing I'd like to say is that Matthew 17 is just continuing the same thing that we were looking at in Matthew 16. And the last verse in Matthew 16, Messiah is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Most certainly I tell you, there are some standing here who will in no way taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then the very next verse, which happens to be verse 1 of Matthew 17, is continuing that story. And, you know, when these scriptures were written, there were no chapter or verses. So this is kind of imposed on the text later. So if you read it as one continuous thing, it's helping us to get the story. So when it says, after six days, what is it talking about? It's referring to the previous verse, right? Six days after he said that to them, this happens. After six days, Yeshua took with him Peter, Jacob, and John, his brother, 
and brought them up into a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. What does it mean to be transfigured? Well, the word here, transfigured, comes from the same Greek word that metamorphosis comes from. The English word metamorphosis. I think it's metamorphoso or something like that. But anyway, the idea is a change. And so there was a manifestation of Messiah in a changed state. And that's what they saw. How did they see that? Was it a vision that they had? It might have been. Was it an actual occurrence in some way that we can't even understand, maybe like outside of time or something? Entirely possible when you're talking about the creator of the universe, right? Really, this entire thing has an element of mystery to it as to how it actually happened. So we just have to take the story on face value. They saw Messiah transfigured. And it says his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as the light. Now, what I'm seeing here with this is shining, shining white, like this incredible light. Isn't that how this sounds to you? And it says, Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So that's kind of amazing, isn't it? And Moses and Elijah are connected. Because Moses brought the Torah, and Messiah is the living Torah. And Elijah came to turn the people back to the Torah and to Messiah. So there's a connection between these three figures, and it makes all the sense in the world that Moses and Elijah would be seen there with him. Well, let's look a little more at this. Peter answered and said to Yeshua, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, let's make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Clearly, Peter's having a good time, right? (laughs) Let's hang out and party with the big shots. Let's set up these tents, and let's just have this thing go on. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. If I found myself in that situation, I wouldn't want it to stop, would you? And what this is, is the stamp of authenticity. If somebody made up this story, that wouldn't be part of the story. That's there because that's an authentic reaction to what really happened. While he, that is Peter, was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
Can't mistake that. Well, what are they really seeing? Remember what he said, that some of them would see him in his glory? You suppose they're seeing him in his glory here? You know, John is here, but many years later, John has another revelation. It's the last book in our Bible, isn't it? And there, it presents the Son of God. And here's one place, Revelation 1, 13 through 18. It says, Among the menorahs was one like a son of man. His head and his hair were white, as white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Out of his mouth proceeded a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining at its brightest. Isn't that just what they saw? And Messiah said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Somehow what is happening in this transfiguration is they are seeing Messiah in his future state as he appears at his coming. That's what they're actually seeing in the transfiguration. Peter wrote about this quite a few years later, but obviously he never forgot this experience. And this is what he says in 2 Peter 1, verse 16 through 18. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from Elohim the Father honor and glory when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice come out of heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's still remembering what he saw. And he's telling them, this is a basis for them to believe. Because this is not just a story they made up. This is something they really experienced. Something they really saw. They really saw Yeshua Messiah in the glory of the kingdom. That's what the transfiguration is really all about. Well, why? Why? Why was this necessary? Well, think about as we move along in the chapter and in the preceding chapter. It talks about Messiah's impending death. The standard thinking among the Jews is that there had to be two messiahs. Because 
The scriptures talk about a suffering Messiah, and they talk about a victorious Messiah. Two very different personages in their minds. What would happen if the suffering Messiah came and died? Then they're left to believe what? There's another Messiah coming. Isn't that what they would believe? But let me tell you what I think is a very serious deception that is going to come about at the Great Tribulation. I believe there will be many Jews who will claim that Yeshua was indeed the suffering Messiah. But this other man that has come, he is the victorious Messiah, and we need to follow him. And the book of Revelation tells us who that man really is. The book of Daniel tells us. Paul told us in Thessalonians, this is the man of sin, the man we call the anti-Messiah. This idea of two messiahs, it is a terrible deception. And let me tell you something, many Christians are going to fall for this in a very big way. Why did not the church get raptured away? Because the Jesus they believe in was the suffering messiah. And they needed to be here for the victorious Messiah. And let me tell you, it is a short trip for many Christians to accept that under certain circumstances. Will happen. Mark my words, this will happen. This is what the transfiguration was all about. This was saying to these witnesses, yes, I have come. I am going to suffer and die. But nevertheless, I am the victorious Messiah who will come. Only one Messiah, Yeshua Messiah. He was the suffering Messiah, and he is going to return as the victorious Messiah, the glorious Messiah that they saw on that mountain. How important do you think this portion of Scripture is going to be when we get into the Great Tribulation? It's all there for a reason, friends. It's all there for a reason. Well, what happened after this? It says, lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Yeshua alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Yeshua commanded them, saying, don't tell anyone what you saw until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. That's when we were really going to need it. Because if people had this idea, well, he, he must have been the suffering Messiah, and now we have to wait for the victorious Messiah. Oh, yeah, but you know what? Peter, James, and John are going to speak up and say, hey, wait a minute. 
We saw him on the mountain. Here is what happened. We saw Yeshua as the victorious Messiah. See how important that is after his death? But then his disciples asked him, saying, Then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Why are they saying that? You know what? This event was so real to them, seeing Messiah as the glorious Messiah in his coming kingdom, that it left them confused. Like, how is that possible? Because Elijah is supposed to come first. This is where they're at. And his answer is, Elijah indeed comes first and will restore all things. Will restore all things. Now, is he talking about John the Immerser when he says that? Did John the Immerser restore all things? And yet later, he names John the Immerser, right? So what things is he talking about here that he meant when he said that Elijah comes first? First before what? First before the victorious Messiah, right? and will restore all things. Well, it was common knowledge among the Jews what Elijah would restore. Sirach, which is a, an apocryphal book, but was a Jewish wisdom literature, written before the time of Messiah, kind of sums up their belief. And this is what it says. Elijah, who was ordained for reproofs in their times to pacify the wrath of the Lord's judgment before it break forth into fury and to turn the hearts of the Father unto the Son and to restore the tribes of Jacob. So when Messiah is saying, Elijah indeed comes first and will restore all things. The all things he's talking about is everything having to do with the restoration of the tribes of Jacob. Because even then, the tribes remain scattered. Right? And I think that is such an amazing thing for us to consider. That when Yeshua said these words, he wasn't thinking just of his disciples then, but he was thinking far into the future when the tribes of Israel, that is the remnant from those tribes, would be restored. to restore the tribes of Jacob. So that is exactly what Messiah is affirming there, that 
before his coming, which was shown in the transfiguration, Elijah would come and would restore the tribes of Israel, the faithful Israelites of the remnant. And in agreeing with this, Messiah is agreeing with all the prophets, because we've talked about this many times, so many prophecies point to the remnant being restored before the coming of the Lord in that generation, in the generation that we're living in right now. And, you know, it goes on, of course, and it mentions Yohanan the Immerser, that he truly was the Elijah of that generation, and that he suffered, and that Messiah would suffer at the hands of the same men, and so on. Yes, he was the suffering Messiah. Yeshua was the suffering Messiah, but he was also the victorious coming Messiah. And I feel so encouraged by this because understanding how Yeshua saw this and saw what the work of Elijah would be before the coming of Messiah as the victorious Messiah, it tells me that he was well aware of the remnant of Israel in the last days. And you know, we're seeing this happen. We are seeing individuals coming forward from the tribes of Israel, from the scattered tribes. But we haven't gotten to the point yet where we see this on a mass kind of level. Don't let that discourage you. You know, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. This mountain is going to move. It is going to move. It will be in his time. It will be in his way. But Moses, Elijah, all the prophets, and Yeshua have all assured us the remnant will be raised up in these last days before his coming. And you can count on that as being true. And I think for the people of our generation, this is really the central point that affects us regarding the transfiguration. have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Further teachings and study materials on various related topics and others can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. Or click the membership link on the Zion Road website. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Join us next Shabbat to learn more in the book of Matthew. Shabbat Shalom!
Ask for the ancient.